You are listening to episode 37 of the Tennis Files podcast with special guest Luca Corentelli. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mehrban Iranshad. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the podcast. I really appreciate you guys tuning in today. And we've got a great interview with Luca Corintelli, who is a fantastic tennis player at the University of Virginia uh, men's tennis team. Uh, they are the two-time defending national champions. They won in 2015 and 2016. And I had the honor and pleasure of speaking to Lucas' coach, uh, Brian Boland, on episode 34 of the Tennis Files podcast. And I really appreciate um, Brian for uh, suggesting I speak with Luca. Um because, you know, obviously UVA tennis is stacked. They have so many wonderful tennis players there, and uh, many of whom have uh, become uh, professional tennis players. And so I asked uh, Coach Bolin who he, recommend, uh, who he would recommend I talk to, and he said that Luca would provide a fantastic interview. So uh, no pressure, Luca, <laughs> but um, now it was great talking with, with Luca about uh, you know, his tennis career and how and why he and his teammates are able to excel. And you'll really get uh, a, a glimpse into why UVA tennis is so successful and their amazing outlook and approach on on tennis and uh, individual development. And, and this is why they are the best team in the nation and continue to do great things uh, in tennis and uh, in their community. So without further ado, um, please enjoy my interview with Luca Corintelli. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tennis Files podcast. Uh, I have the honor of uh, interviewing Luca Corintelli, who is a, just an amazing player on the University of Virginia men's tennis team. Uh, if you didn't know, they, uh, the UVA is the defending national champions of uh, Division I NCAA tennis. And uh, Luca is just a, a really a fantastic a player. He was ranked as high as number two, I believe, in the country uh, in doubles last year. He is also an ITA doubles All-American, uh, predictably. Um, All-ACC third team, uh, NCAA All-Tournament team. And uh, it's pretty cool to talk to Luca because he's also uh, a a local because uh, he uh, was brought up in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. So, you know, I'm, I'm here in Maryland and um, yeah, I mean, it's just uh, really a pleasure to speak with somebody who's on such an elite team as a UVA men's tennis. And uh, I just want to welcome you, Luca, to the show. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. I appreciate you having me on here, and I'm looking forward to uh, to the podcast. Yeah, no, no worries. Uh, first question I have for you, which I, uh, you know, I don't ask too many guests. I don't have the chance to. Is uh, how does the championship ring feel? It feels great, yeah. Um, we had to wait a couple months to get it. Obviously, um, you know, it's October now, and we won the national championship in May. So, you know, it was a long time coming. But, uh, you know, once we kind of got through the ceremony and got our rings on our fingers, it was uh, it was definitely worth it. 
That's fantastic, Luca. Yeah, I mean, back in 2007, I uh, we won our conference championship. I played at UMBC, so we got a conference championship ring, but uh, nothing in the same level as as you guys. Uh, but I saw the no, the, man. They all they all feel great. Trust me, they all feel great. Oh, thank you. You're too kind. You're too kind. But yeah, I saw the post from Coach Boland. I guess a c- couple of days ago, where he had uh, some some pictures uh, for the from the ceremony and stuff. So I was really really happy to see you guys. Uh, you know, enjoy that those moments together. Um, yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, no worries. But uh, I just want to start off by just asking you, Luca. Yeah, how did you get your start playing tennis? Yeah, so I um, I actually wasn't. You know, tennis wasn't my first sport. I used to. Um, you know, from age, I want to say three up until, um, up until nine, I solely, uh, fought judo. Uh, I lived in New York, was born in Queens, or I was born in Long Island, lived in Queens up until I was nine. And, you know, judo was really the only sport that I, um, participated in up until I was nine years old when me and my family, um, moved to Alexandria and kind of the love of, of judo kind of faded a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I stopped actually when I was 12, but when I was nine years old, there was a tennis court in my apartment complex and me and my dad just, you know, went out, you know, something that, you know, for me to do something to keep me busy just cause I was a little bit of a wild child. And, um, somebody came out, came by the courts one day and thought that I had some, you know, kind of hand, hand-eye coordination and some talent. And they recommended me to actually go, um, to the local YMCA in, in Arlington. So I went over there and, uh, by coincidence, I met my first tennis coach, um, Farshad Garakani, who, wow. um, is, yeah, from um, Northern Virginia, and I worked with him exclusively till I was about 11, and then um, I was uh, recommended to go train at College Park, and that's kind of where I took off. Wow, that's pretty crazy. I'm uh, good friends with Farshad. He's very active on yeah. social media, and uh, yeah, shout out to Farshad. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, um, yeah I'm curious actually about uh, judo. I mean, do do you feel like there are any um, you know, foundations that you took from judo to apply to tennis? Because, you know, there's a lot of players who are great in tennis and they like, for example, Tread Huey, you played at UVA, like you played a lot of baseball yeah. and that transferred over. So yeah. do you feel like there's anything you took away from judo? Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely um, I kind of got my competitive edge from judo just because, you know, it's just you by yourself, just like on the tennis court. You know, mm. you don't have anybody else to rely on. So you kind of go on the mat and you have to basically – I don't want to say fight for your survival, but you know, it's one-on-one physically fighting against another, another opponent. And I think that's where I got my foundation as being a, a pretty good competitor. You have to be fierce in judo. You can't be, um, you can't be scared at all at any time throughout the fight. So I think that's what kind of set my foundation as a competitor on the tennis court. And then just physically, obviously at a young age, I was very active and, uh, you know, probably built some of my, um, just, you know, muscles started to form a little bit and, I think that I kind of just got a little bit more coordinated um, from doing a sport uh, at such a young age. Yeah, it's awesome, Luca. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen you in person, but I mean, you look like a strong dude. And, um, you know, yeah. I, I tried uh, jujitsu once when I was in law school and uh, I got choked out and that was kind of the end of that. <laughs> but but yeah. uh, very cool nonetheless. Um, you know, you mentioned kind of like your, your trek into in your junior career, but I was curious if you could uh, talk about uh, your first tennis tournament experience and how that went. Yeah, so uh, I played kind of like a Christmas Invitational. It wasn't, uh, wasn't like a legitimate USDA tournament, but at that YMCA where uh, I started playing tennis a little bit more seriously, they held a Christmas Invitational with, I want to say, four kids maybe. I mean, it wasn't a big tournament. And it was eight game pro sets, and um, 
Yeah, I remember being really, really excited. I actually won my first tournament there with, you know, uh, from that semifinal draw and obviously fell in love with the, the competition and the feeling of, of competing on a tennis court. And after that, obviously playing in events became much more, uh, much more common and, and it just kind of added on after that. That's pretty sweet, Luca. I mean, I'm, uh, before I ask you about uh, more about your junior career, I just wanted to back up and see if there were any role models that you had growing up. Yeah, as a youngster, I, I was obsessed with Murat Safin. Um, nice. Murat Safin was my idol. I tried to do everything like him. And at a young age, I used the, the Prestige, the Head Prestige, nice. just because Safin used it. I wore all the Adidas clothes. <laughs> Basically, tried to you know mimic my game after Safin. So, yeah, I mean, looking back on it now, it probably looked really funny just because I was a little, you know, a little kid that was trying to do everything like a like a monster like Safin was. But he was probably my main idol growing up, um, at least in terms of tennis. Um, and yeah, basically, I said before, I just try to do everything like him. Well, Coach Bowen won't like this question, but can you smash a racket as good as Murat Safin? <laughs> I don't know if I can smash a racket as good as Murat Safin, but I know how to smash a racket pretty well. So I don't know if I want to. Uh, mention that to Coach Boland or any of the coaches I've had in the past, but uh, unfortunately, I think they know a little bit uh, too well. Yeah, well, I might have to delete that out, man, to protect you. Yeah. But, <laughs> um, no, that's, that's great. So you mentioned JTCC, and I'm very fond of uh, Junior Tennis Champion Center. I, you know, I play some uh, local tournaments there, men's opens and, and uh, US, mm -hmm. U.S. national tournaments, whatnot. But uh, I did get a lesson, uh, which I mentioned before on the podcast, from Vesa Ponka, mm -hmm. who it looks like is oh, your coach and like he's so hardcore yeah. i remember like he he wouldn't even let me get a glass of water and like i thought i was going to get a heart attack because he was you know yeah. his feet always moving and it was really amazing yeah. a hell of a yeah. of a lesson but uh can you talk about like i guess his coaching style and like how he's helped your game and, and stuff like that yeah basically you know like you say uh, like you stated before he's really really um tough and disciplined i think that just comes with him his personality being from finland and kind of having um, a different upbringing and, and uh, you know, being over in Europe in the time where, you know, guys like Borg and Edberg and mm -hmm. he was in that generation. And I think um, he kind of brought that culture and that uh, coaching style over to the States. So, yeah, I was at College Park from a young age and I was under Vesta's wing from day one. He was incredible. He was like a second father to me for, mm -hmm. for a really long time. And he kind of taught me a lot of the things that I still um, keep close to heart today in terms of, um, the game style that I like to play with, I love. Um, I love coming to the net. I like being an aggressive player, and Vesta established that in my in my identity from a really young age. So, you know, a lot of a lot of credit goes to Vesta for developing me as a as a young man and as a tennis player. And um, I'm extremely grateful for um, having my relationship with him for sure. Well, that's wonderful to hear. I'm definitely going to try to have him on the show at some point, and I hope that um, yeah. he's he's aware of this episode with the very kind words uh, that you mentioned. Um, and yeah, I remember back in the day, um, cause I'm 31 right now, but I, I remember him mm -hmm. coaching, uh, Philip Simmons, who was a yep, you know, yep. extremely good player as well and played in the pros and whatnot. Um, so yeah, you know, you, you mentioned your junior training and how you, uh, went to JTCC at a fairly long, uh, young age. So I'm curious about the trajectory of your junior career and your, you know, the ranking and whatnot. Like, can you talk us mm -hmm. through like how your junior career went? Yeah, so I uh, I was playing in the section like a lot of the people um, growing up, you know, like my peers. Um, you know, one of my best friends, Dennis Kudla, did the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I probably stopped playing in the section when I was 13 years old uh, just because I was always kind of playing in an age group above or two age groups above. So once I was 13 and, um, you know, kind of 
thought that it was maybe time to branch out a little bit, I moved down to Boca Raton and started playing more like, you know, strictly national tournaments, mm-hmm. probably by the age of 14, whether it was, you know, the Easter Bowl and the national clay courts and, and the hardcore championships and stuff. And then probably by 15 and a half, 16 years old is when um, I started playing the ITFs and strictly kept it to the ITF tournament. So that's kind of the timeline of, of how my development in terms of tennis um, tournaments went. And um, yeah, it, it was an awesome experience. It was different, obviously, just because I had to do a lot of my schoolwork online and I missed out on a lot of the experiences. A lot of regular, you know, students get to experience being in, in high school and uh, in middle school as well. But I traveled a bunch growing up and I think um, it helped me out a lot in terms of maturing at a, a lot younger of an age compared to my peers. Yeah, well, that's that's great, Luke. I mean, you've got to obviously make sacrifices if you really want something. Um, you know, I, yeah. I, I don't go out too much. I mean, I've got a full-time job and work in this podcast yeah. and website and stuff. So kudos to you on that. Um, and Thank you. Know, yeah, no, no worries. And so our audience, obviously, they get really motivated from hearing like how people persevere over adversity and, and things like that. So I just want to ask you now, like, what was your lowest point in the juniors and mm-hmm. how did you overcome that? Yeah. So one, I mean, I had a bunch of low points, obviously, like all athletes do, but I remember being 14 years old and that's kind of the age age period where I, I really grew uh, probably eight or nine inches in, in the span of eight or nine months. Yeah. And my bones started to get a little bit weak and fragile. And I actually ended up uh, hurting my elbow pretty badly to mm-hmm. the point where I had to get surgery. So I missed um, close to five or six months with my elbow surgery and Wow. That's probably the lowest point I had in my juniors just because I had to sit out and watch a lot of my peers and friends get to compete in some of the best, biggest tournaments in the world, like the Orange Bowl and mm-hmm. Eddie Herr and whatnot. So that was that was a difficult time for me as a youngster just because, you know, you're not that mature and you don't know how to handle things that well. But, you know, I had a great support system. My dad was awesome. He uh, was down in, in Florida with me during this time and really kept me positive. A lot of – a lot of um, – a lot of my positivity came from my dad throughout my entire junior career. He always kept me up just because he's such an optimist and always kind of like that bright light that I can go to. So, you know, I, I overcame it basically with my family support. My coaches always believing in me. And, you know, within the next six months after the surgery, I kind of got back on track and, and, you know, never made it seem like I never missed a beat. Wonderful, Luca. I mean, that's a huge lesson right there to everyone listening. It just, yeah. uh, you know, the support system and people you surround yourself with, you need to surround yourself with, uh, uh, positivity and just people who are going to yeah. support you. So even if you're feeling low, like just reach out to people and, um, you know, yeah. that, that's, uh, I'm glad that you were able to overcome that. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've seen some video of you playing at some huge tournaments like the Easter Bowl and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, but what do you think was your biggest accomplishment as a junior? Yeah, uh, that's tough. I mean, I feel like I had a really, you know, successful, fun junior career. I think I got to experience a, a whole bunch of, um, a whole bunch of things that kind of helped me today, even playing on my college team and looking forward to afterwards. But the one thing that probably stands out is, um, you know, being able to make the main draw of the French Open juniors and mm. uh, the U.S. Open and Wimbledon juniors as well. Mm. Those experiences were like nothing else in my junior career, just being able to play, you know, where the pros play during their tournament and just feeling that atmosphere at a grand slam. There's nothing like it. And, you know, that's probably what I'm most proud of for my junior career, just because, you know, 
it's never a given. And, you know, a lot of guys weren't able to experience what I was able to experience at those tournaments. So looking back on it, those were some of my, you know, most cherishable moments and definitely some of the most fun times as well. Yeah, it's that's pretty awesome. Congratulations on all those experiences. Um it's a pretty sweet sure. And so you now just moving to your uh college career, I'm I'm curious as to how Coach Boland uh recruited you. Yeah, so uh you know, now now that I've been on the team for, you know, three, three and a half years, I've got to talk to Coach Boland a bunch and I've asked him all these questions and uh you know, Coach Boland saw me at a really young age when UVA used to come to College Park to play against Maryland and I guess I was on his radar and a lot of the guys from JTCC, you know, eventually ended up going to UVA. So yeah. he obviously heard of me and, and his assistant coach while he was recruiting me was a guy by the name of Andres Pedroso, who used to be my coach actually when I first moved down to Florida. So I had some ties with UVA and being an in-state kid, uh, you know, and with how great of a school UVA is, it wasn't too hard for Coach Bowen to sell uh, sell me the program, especially coming off of a national championship. So <laughs> You know, it was it was it was an awesome time. I'm grateful for you know Coach Bowen recruiting me, and um, you know, looking back on it, it was an extremely fun time for me. Yeah, no, that's sick. I'm glad uh, you ended up at you know the best program in the country. Um, sick. So, uh, you know, looking so far on your college career, what do you think's the biggest mm-hmm. improvement that you've made in your game since joining UVA tennis? Yeah, I feel like I've improved a bunch since I've been at UVA. Obviously, you know, we have some of the best coaches in the world. I'm, I'm a firm believer that Coach Bowen is the best leader in the world. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, our, our current assistant coach, associate head coach, um, Dustin Taylor, who I also had the pleasure of working with when I was in Florida, mm-hmm. is, is unbelievable, best, uh, you know, tech, uh, technical, mental, uh, every kind of coach, I think, in the world, in my opinion. And yeah. uh, the one thing that probably stands out the most to me is, Honestly, becoming a better competitor, college tennis has a lot of adversity that you have to deal with, especially being at UVA, dealing with a lot of pressure, a lot of hostile environments, and it really forces you to become a better competitor. And I think with the help of Coach Bowen and Coach Taylor and the entire staff at UVA, I think I've become a lot better of a competitor since I've joined UVA's team. And, um, you know, I think as I get older and a little bit more mature, I start to realize that competitiveness and, and, and how good of a competitor a competitor you are kind of means a lot more than it did when you're in juniors. You know, you get to a point where everybody can serve, everybody can hit a forehand, but not that many people can play in the most high, hostile of environments. So I would probably say I've become a lot better of a competitor at UVA and a lot of credit goes out to the staff that we get to work with every day. Yeah, for sure. Huge props to them. And so when you talk about becoming a better competitor, was there ever a time in your college career thus far where you, say, had a string of losses and you kind of initially felt like, you know, what is going on here? And then you just had to step back and say, like, you know, keep positive and like you got to keep going through it. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I just my freshman year and and, kind of when I was younger, it was hard for me to to come into an environment like UVA, you know, it's not, it's not for everyone. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, excellence is, is, is definitely something that we strive for on a daily basis here, but you come into a, an environment where, you know, you have eight, nine, 10 guys that are capable of playing high in the lineup at every single school. And for a lot of people, that's, that, that's too much pressure and a lot of fear and it's too much to deal with. And I think my freshman year, and and kind of throughout up until maybe you know mid through midway through my junior year, or I mean my my sophomore year, I uh, I had trouble staying positive and and using 
all the tools and all the resources that this environment had. I mean, you can literally play with, you know, on a daily basis with guys that are, you know, top 500 ATP level and such great players. And it's not easy just because everybody wants to come in and play. And um, I think if you take advantage of all the resources and all of the things that this program has to offer, you know, and I start to realize that, you know, once I became a little bit older and spent enough time in this program, I think that um, I got a lot better at that. But at first it was a struggle for me to deal with, you know, the ups and downs of, of being and being this kind of environment. But I think I've overcome them pretty well uh, since then. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, as you mentioned, the, that environment is not for everyone. I, I remember a post by Eric Buderak, who's a very accomplished doubles player. I think he might have just retired, yeah. but he just he said how he used to play at a D1 school and like he just couldn't take it, you know, the intense competition. So he moved down to D3 and that actually worked out well for him. But I'm glad that you have been able to adjust. And, you know, I mean, just the dedication from Coach Bowen and the staff, like to your everybody on your team's individual development, it seems uh, unparalleled. And so by taking advantage of all the resources, um, you've really, uh, you know, you're optimizing your career. So that's that's amazing to hear about. So what's... Yeah, no, no worries. And so what is the best piece of advice or at least one really good piece of advice that you've received from Coach Bolin and the staff that you think, uh, you know, is, is worth mentioning? Uh, that's a tough one just because <laughs> Coach Bolin's like a preacher. I think he gives us so much good advice on a daily basis. That probably goes for the entire staff. But if I had to think of one thing that really stands out is, you know, he pushes everybody to become leaders and you know, obviously there are different kinds of leaders. There are the vocal leaders. There are the people that lead more by action. So, you know, I think that's one thing that has kind of stuck with me for a while now is, you know, what can you do to be the best leader for the people that you're, you know, your surrounding peers, either people in your group, you know, in terms of school, but just, you know, what can you do to make the environment around you better? Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of gives me a peace of mind when I come in every day if I'm not feeling 100%, if I feel a little bit tired or groggy or, you know, I'm not in the best mood, my job as the leader, not of this program, but of myself and contributing to the environment is to do my best to make the people around me better. And if you make the people around you better, you know, everybody benefits from that. And if everybody kind of takes that approach, you know, the team and the people that are around you are in business. So I think that's one thing that's really stood out to me. Coach Bowen does that himself. So it's really easy for me to kind of follow, you know, his footsteps and, and, and listen to a leader like that. So that's probably one thing that sticks out to me the most. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, obviously, as I mentioned, I, I talked to Coach Bowen on episode 34 of the podcast, and the title was basically developing, uh, you know, leaders and, and great tennis players, you know, both. And I mean, it's just incredible and, and so helpful that, that you all have this mindset because when you are trying to think about how you can be a leader, then you are, you're being proactive. And that's, you know, really the best way to look, you know, act is, I mean, you got to be proactive rather than just yep. reactive and, you know, mindless. You're thinking, constantly thinking, how can I improve and better myself and others? So, uh, yeah. again, just uh, this, this philosophy is part of the reason why uh, UVA tennis is, uh, you know, just winning everything. So it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, so, uh, our audience also, what they love to hear are drills and, you know, obviously you guys probably do thousands of drills, but can you talk about maybe like one of your favorite drills that you do with the team and, uh, team practices? Mm -hmm. God, we do a lot of drills. A lot of it, we try to keep it fun and light, especially during the team practices. Um, my favorite drill 
with the team and team practices is probably um, the double stuff gets really fun just because it gets really competitive and we do a lot of two up, two back and different kind of reaction drills where, you know, it's, it's almost like it seems like people are, are, are kind of going for each other's heads. So, <laughs> you know, the reaction drills and, and a lot of the volley stuff gets really, really competitive during practice, especially when it's in, in all of us at a team practice. So, I would think that two up, two back, and then other, um, you know, drills where all four players at the net get really fun, and it's probably the one that I, you know, enjoy the most. Oh, yeah, that sounds pretty intense. Uh, I think if I were uh, doing those uh, reaction drills with you guys, I'd probably bring uh, in like a 200-square-inch racket, you know, just uh, (laughs) cover the ground. (laughs) Um, But, uh, yeah, so... So I'm interested in your your kind of like I guess the ratio of like on court to off court stuff that you do. So like how much off court conditioning would you say you do like roughly in comparison with uh, playing mm-hmm. tennis? Yeah, so I think fitness for us at least at UVA is, is, is huge. It's one of the biggest um, one of the biggest things that we focus on throughout the entire year. We uh, have the pleasure of working with Pat Echeverry, wow. who's one of the most famous you know fitness guys, especially in the sport of tennis. Um, in the world, he's worked with Sampras, Courier. I mean, you name it. Yeah. The guy has been, you know, with the most elite athletes. So uh, it, it's a big part of our program. We do a lot of we do a lot of tennis specific stuff, footwork, um, obviously cardio, running. You know, we we, we want to make sure that we do everything in our ability to become closest to the fittest team in the country, if not the fittest. So um, I would say on a week on a daily basis. We probably do an hour to an hour and a half of fitness a day, and that includes stretching and nice. uh, obviously the preventative stuff so we don't get hurt. But then, um, you know, off-court conditioning also can go into, you know, the mental aspect of it. And mm-hmm. we have a team psychologist that comes in and talks to us once a week and make sure that, um, you know, individually we're doing everything we can to maximize our potential, but then as well as, um, you know, having group meetings with the entire team and the psychologist. So, we're all on the same page and, you know, no, nothing is getting left out or no stone is being unturned. So I think um, a lot of the stuff off court actually is just as important as the amount of work and the quality of the work that we do on the court, just because um, as coach Bolin always tells us all the dots connect. And if you're doing something, you know, if you're doing too much of one thing and not doing enough of the other, you know, that this balance is going to eventually hurt, hurt the program and, and hurt the individual. So we pay play, uh, we pay close attention to fitness and definitely, all the off-court stuff that um, affects us when we're on the court. Wonderful. Amazing insight into the, the program. And, yeah, as Coach Boland loves to say, uh, if, if you only water one side of the tree, then the other side will die. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, I've actually recently, thanks to um, Dr. Mark Kovacs in episode 33, mm-hmm. I've been um, – uh, con- well, I constructed like my own fitness program based on like what my self-assessment of my weaknesses and whatnot, especially in particular flexibility is what I was really weak at. Um, so I w- I'm mm-hmm. curious, like, you know, in talking about fitness and tennis conditioning just now, like what parameter or what type of um, uh, part of your game or like fitness and whatnot did you do you think you were weakest at uh, and that you had to improve? Uh, I think I came in to UVA being you know, a pretty good athlete. I thought I was very fit just because I, I built a pretty good foundation when I was um, at the USTA in Boca Raton mm. uh, when I moved down there when I was younger. But one thing that I wasn't great at but I feel like I've gotten much better at since I've come to UVA is its flexibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's huge in, in, in our sport. And yeah. it definitely, you know, if you watch any tennis, you see the guys like Djokovic and 
a lot of the top guys, they're very flexible. It helps with injury prevention, you know, because everybody can play, but not everybody can stay healthy. And the reason why a lot of these guys can play long matches, they can come back and, you know, make it make it seem like they haven't skipped a beat is because because of their flexibility. So we do a fair bit of, of uh, a good share of yoga and, and other stretching uh, drills and, and, and sessions to kind of keep um, keep our bodies as loose as possible. So in my personal opinion for myself, that's one thing that I've focused on quite a bit and I think I've improved on since I've come to college. Yeah, I'm really happy that you highlighted that, Luca, because I mean, they, you know, I've experienced it myself. Like I'm, so I'm 31 right now and like gradually I'm finding that I'm like, you know, recovering more slow and, and uh, just feeling kind of like if I don't stretch and use the bands and whatnot, then I really feel like super either stiff or yep. sore and stuff. And so doing the flexibility stuff, the stretching and also even some foam rolling um, really helps a lot. You've had so many amazing moments as a collegiate tennis player, but can you uh, tell us what your most memorable moment has been as a collegiate tennis player? Uh, this one's tough. I mean, we've had quite a bit over the last couple of years, but yeah. um, I would probably say the semifinals of my sophomore year when we were at Baylor and beat Baylor um, in the semifinals of the NCAA tournament. Hmm. Um, you know, we played Baylor at their home courts. We had lost them t- two times that year. And, you know, they were a big rival of ours, a team that we, you know, didn't like so much at the time. Mm-hmm. And we lost the doubles point. And it looked like it was going to be a dogfight throughout the entire match and an uphill battle. And I remember clearly uh, watching Mitchell Frank and Colin Altamirano uh, win basically simultaneously um, when, the, when the score was tied at two all to put us into the national championship. And that was, you know, one of the better feelings I've had um, being a part of UVA tennis. I remember, you know, seeing all the Baylor fans leave the stadium a little bit uh, disappointed. And <laughs> as bad as it is, you know, that kind of gave me kind of a sense of satisfaction because we left, you know, matchups with them previously during that season, really disappointed. So, you know, that obviously led us into, you know, beating Oklahoma in the finals 4-1 in 2015. And that was my first national championship. And, you know, not that the second one wasn't, wasn't great, but obviously, you know, first time is always, is always so special. So, you know, I'll never forget that moment. And it was probably, you know, one of the most memorable moments I've had as a collegiate tennis player. Yeah, that's, that's, that's definitely sounds like an awesome moment. I'm just curious, you know, obviously you mentioned, uh, you know, I mean, when you're competing against teams, it's normal to have, uh, you know, these, uh, I guess, competitive rivalries. You mentioned you maybe didn't like them so much. Was it just kind of like after competing against them over the years that you like kind of developed this rivalry or was it like some other type of thing? Yeah, I mean, I think obviously losing to a team twice in a season, you know, you're not going to love the team so much, but <laughs> as we all know, college tennis gets, gets pretty, you know, the the environment gets pretty hostile and, you know, Baylor, the fans and, and yeah. a lot of the players, it was, you know, pretty chippy, nothing over the top, obviously, but, you know, we're all competitive. And, you know, I just remember, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the exchanges were a little bit, um, were a little bit testy. And I mean, it wasn't so much of a dislike to the point where, you know, it, it made it hard for us to compete. But, you know, if you lose to a team twice and the guys on the other team aren't the nicest, at least in your opinion, you right. know, when you beat them, it, it makes it that much more special. 
Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at newbalance.com. Sure, I think that's very well put for sure. And I mean, you know, I've I've uh, watched and listened to some college matches online and like I and on YouTube and I hear like these fans like say some ridiculous things and Yeah. Yeah, I actually remember playing a match at um uh geez, where was it? Um up at one of the Ivy League schools, Cornell, that's right, Cornell Invitational mm-hmm. and like I was playing a match against one of their players and then like I heard this guy saying like, "Hey, my grandmother's better than you." <laughs> I was just like, "Man, yeah. who is this guy?" you know. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, it's, uh, again, you know, wonderful memory that, that, uh, you've, you've talked to us about. So another sweet memory, no doubt. Um, can you walk us through mentally what you were thinking when, uh, Henrik clinched the national championship for, uh, UVA last year? Yeah. Um, I remember I was, I was watching Alexander Richard actually on number four singles for majority of that, of that dual match. And mm-hmm. he was in a third set himself and, I remember him breaking to go up 5-2 in the third set, and I thought he was going to be the one that, that was going to clinch it, obviously mm-hmm. going up 5-2 double break, you know, when we were up 3-1 in the score. And then I kind of had forgotten about Henrik just because he was down 5-2 in the second set. So I was under the assumption that he was going to split sets. And all of a sudden I looked over and he was heading into a tie break. Mm. And, you know, if there's anybody that we want in a presser situation, Henrik home is one of the clutchest. Uh, tennis players in UVA history, and I think he's going to continue that, you know, in his incredible career here. But, you know, I, I had a feeling he was going to lock in like he has so many times for, for us in the past. And, you know, he had that demeanor about him in that tie break, and he just started rolling, didn't really miss a ball. And next thing I know, he was up 6-2 serving and hit a great serve out wide. And I remember it like it was, you know, yesterday where, um, you know, he hit that serve that, w- that didn't come back. And, um, yeah, it was incredible. We all rushed the court and you know, we've done that so many times with Henrik, it seems like, but this one was a little bit more special, obviously, because we got a national championship at the end of it. Nice. Henrik, good job, man. Well, good job to the whole team. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously college is just an incredible experience, and you have a lot of fun with the guys and things like that. And so what's the funniest tennis moment you've experienced with the team? Oh, that, that one's tough, too. I mean, <laughs> we've got a lot of long bus rides, a lot of long travel days on the plane, and um, you know, I've been lucky enough to be a part of this this brotherhood here at UVA. I mean, I can truly say that, especially the last two years, this has been probably the closest group of guys I've been with in my entire life. And, you know, it's just like traveling with your best friends and, and competing and going to war with your best friends, obviously, is, is so cool. But, I mean, I don't know if there's one, you know, moment I can pinpoint, mm-hmm. you know, exactly. But I would say just, you know, all the bus rides, there's always some kind of joke that's being played or you know, some kind of, you know, teasing going on, obviously, you know, you know, within, within the boundaries, but you know, it just seems like it's just a long, a long comedy show when we get on these bus rides. So I don't know if there's one moment, but you know, they're all really, really funny and it makes the, you know, the the days go by a lot faster when we're traveling. So yeah, I mean, all the bus rides are enjoyable and being a senior now, I'm obviously going to miss it next year. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I can definitely agree with you. Those bus rides uh, just have so many funny moments, uh, many of which are, uh, you know, uh, too private or rated R to yeah. talk about. <laughs> um, yeah. But, 
Yeah, man. I, I feel like I'm asking you, like, what is the greatest, funniest, hilarious, most hilarious? Yeah, but, uh, you know, I'm, I also am curious, like, you know, you've, you've given so much props to your teammates and, like, the great matches yeah. they've played and you've obviously, you know, participated in. But individually for you, Luca, what is the sickest match that you've ever played in college? Yeah, uh, I would say both national championships. Um, you know, I played in the, in the doubles. At line one doubles, I would think that uh, this past one, this past one was was definitely one that I would consider probably the sickest match I've been a part of mm-hmm. uh, individually. Obviously, we've had so many great ones. Um, you know, one that stands out to me in terms of the team when we played Wake Forest in the quarters of the national indoors. You know, we won four three with Henrik clinching. Um, that one really stood out just because we were down and uh, you know there was you know over a thousand you know Cavalier fans there at the Head. So that one stands out to me in terms of team, but individually the national championship this past, uh, this past season against Oklahoma in terms of me for the doubles, you know, the other two matches split. So it all came down to me and Ryan Shane at number one. And I remember, you know, like it was yesterday again, but five all 30, 40, you know, I was serving and it's no ad. So I was facing two break points and I came up with two really, really good serves and, um, and holding on a deuce point And then, played a great game at 6-5 to break and give us the 1-0 lead against an Oklahoma team that was so good and deep in, do- in, in singles. So I really feel like that catapulted us and they gave us a great a great deal of momentum going into the singles. And, you know, we went up, we got to a great start. And I think that um, that probably was the sickest match I would say I've played in in college. That's awesome. Yeah, I did notice that you, you clinched a doubles point. It's amazing. And um, if you can remember, when you were down 30-40, can you describe the point patterns that you used yeah. um, for those two points to uh, to win that game? Yeah, so it was 30-40, and we were serving on the outside, obviously, to Andrew Harris, who was Oklahoma's number one player. Mm. Uh, I had a good first serve to his backhand. He kind of popped it up, and my partner Ryan Shane hit a cross-court volley that um, didn't come back. Nice. And then at deuce point, you know, you had an entire crowd watching all, all the players from both teams. And, you know, I remember coming up to the line and my hand was shaking, obviously, because <laughs> of the, the amount of pressure. And I went up and hit my best serve of the day, probably. I hit a huge forehand body serve that, um, wow. you know, didn't get returned. And uh, I remember just a big commotion and come on and a wave of energy that my team gave me and, and I felt from the crowd. So, that's that's kind of the what point by point what happened uh, in that moment. Yeah, that's amazing, Luca. Thanks for that. And I, you know, obviously, you know, you're like shaking a bit and whatnot. How did you kind of calm yourself down? Did you just take a big breath or to yeah, that big yeah? I mean, I, I like to in those moments. I like to think of myself as as being a, a pretty hard worker. I I like to put in the hours. I like to put in extra hours. And in those moments, I think it's really key to just go back to what you know. I mean. I hit baskets and baskets and baskets of serve the entire season. Um, you know, I knew in the back of my mind that that I was ready for that moment, that I worked for that moment, and that, you know, if I go up and just execute like I have the entire season, that it'll all work out. So, you know, I took a deep breath, reminded myself that, you know, I put the work in, you know, and I was ready for the moment, and, and it worked out. Beautiful. Love that, Luca. You know, for all of you, this is the rewards of hard work. You can When you step up there, when it really counts, you can remember all of the hard work and sacrifices and know that you can execute because of all of that. So that, that's really great, man. Um, so obviously you're like one of the best doubles players in the country. Um, what would you say is the, has been the key to you being uh, such a great doubles player? 
Yeah, I think, um, you know, coming into college, the one thing that I noticed immediately was the amount of energy that college doubles, you know, is made of. And, you know, I just try to be the best teammate possible. I like to bring a lot of energy. I like to, you know, make it kind of like a a battle with, with my teammate against, obviously, our opponents. So uh, in terms of tennis, I think just being fearless. And as a doubles player, you always have to want the ball. You can't be afraid of the ball. And you have to go out and you have to, you know, cross whenever it's obviously there. You mm-hmm. have to never be afraid to take chances. And for me, the number one thing has been just always being extremely positive and really, really energetic. And I think that always helps not only myself, but, you know, my partners and whoever I play with. So that's probably the one key that has, um, you know, definitely outweighed the others in terms of um, my success on the doubles court. Fantastic. And so you mentioned about poaching. Um, you know, that's a, it's tough for a lot of players. And I kind of want to get like a bit, a sense of, uh, when you, when is a good time to poach? Like when do you decide like it's, you know, it's time? Like do you just say, hey, I'm going on the third ball? Do you look for when the player is like leaning back or is it just combination mm-hmm. or what do you, what do you do? So for me, at least, um, you know, at the collegiate level, what you want to do is, is you want to have an idea and kind of base it on on the on your opponent. So, mm-hmm. for example, if you know that your opponents return a lot of balls cross court, for example, if I hit a kick serve out wide on the ad side, and I know that my opponent can't take his backhand line and just you know hits cross court returns, I'm either going to tell my partner or be aware of it myself that hey, we know where the ball is going most of the time, mm-hmm. so we want to poach on this guy. Or you can have set plays when your partner is serving or when you're serving and know that, you know, either an eye formation, you can slide over with your partner or, you know, there are certain serves and certain patterns that you can deal with on an individual basis, depending on who you're playing. And that kind of gives you a better idea of when to poach. I like it. I like it, Luca. So again, point patterns. What are a couple of your favorite point patterns and doubles on your serve? Uh, that you think our audience can uh, utilize to win uh, a lot of points? Uh, I don't want to give out any secrets. No, <laughs> no I got um, you. I got you. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of times what um, is, is really underrated is, is percentages and doubles. So at least when I'm serving, you know, in doubles, it obviously helps to have a, a powerful and, and big serve. But in terms of percentages, you know, if you can serve close to 70%, 80% first serves in, a lot of times your partner is going to get a lot of, you know, easy balls and put aways of the net. So, you know, one of the favorite doubles points, I guess, you know, it's, it's really, really good to serve body in doubles just because obviously it's the biggest part of the box. And, you know, if you can make more serve serving body, it gives you much more success at the net. So I would say just in simple terms for the people that are listening, you know, don't be afraid to serve body. It's not a sitter. It's not easy for people to, you know, either peg you or whatever it is or whatever the, you know, obviously the thought process is behind, you know, normal people thinking about body serves. But I would say body serve and then always look for the ball and want the ball. That's the number one thing. And I think that's how I win majority of my points is kind of playing fearless and always looking um, to get my hands on the ball. Awesome. That's fantastic. So, yeah, I looked at uh, some of your results and you 
uh, you played some ITFs and you uh, done well. You reached the uh, quarters and the semis in the last uh, two ITF futures uh, events. That's mm. uh, more than I can say for myself. I I went to actually uh, to Charlottesville for an ITF a few months ago and got my butt kicked, uh-huh. um, but it was an amazing experience. But um, not worried about me. I just want to ask you. Um, what are some of the main differences that you've seen in doubles play in uh, the, these futures events versus in college, if any? Um, yeah, so I think in terms of actual tennis, I don't know if there are that many differences because a lot of college players are playing these ITF futures, mm-hmm. either current college players or past co- college players. So I wouldn't say that there's too big of a difference, if any, in terms of the actual um, strategies and, and, and level. I mean, I think the level maybe in college might be a little bit higher than a lot of these ITF futures, at least at the top level. Hmm. Um, But in terms of energy, I think obviously when you're playing on a team and you're playing in a different kind of setting um, as colleges in in comparison to the ITFs, uh, the the futures, I think that the energy is probably the biggest difference. And, you know, you have obviously more teammates and fans and support to keep the energy going and it's a lot louder so I would say that that's probably the main difference between the futures and the college uh, in terms of doubles. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I mean it's definitely uh, tough when you. you it's kind of like they give you automatic energy in these matches, whereas it's you know you're all yeah. alone on the uh, on the tour and whatnot. Um, so you know you're a senior right now and just looking to life after college. Uh, I'm not sure if you decided yet, but do you plan to play professional tennis after your career is finished at uh, UVA? Yeah, um, definitely. As of right now, uh, you know, obviously I have uh, some, you know, little details that I got to take care of in terms of, of, of you know, financial um, situation. But sure. uh, I definitely plan on playing professional tennis after college. Um, you know, I, I put so much into this sport for close to 15 years or uh, 13 years now. So I definitely think that I'm going to give it a shot and, um, you know, both singles and doubles is what I would start out with. Obviously, if I start having a great deal of success in doubles, um, I definitely would like to focus in on that and, and, and take my chances. I feel like I've seen a lot of these top guys that played college tennis and uh, been successful in college and have gone on to uh, have a great deal of success on the ATP tour. So ideally, that's, you know, that's where I would like to be one day, but I'm going to take it kind of one day at a time and, and see how I progress, and hopefully it all works out. Gotcha. Awesome. So you're you're gonna play both singles and doubles, and then like just see how it goes, basically, right? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Awesome. So, you know, one question that I meant to ask you in the beginning, uh, which is always fun for the audience: um, What are three things that most people don't know about Luca Corintelli? Um, yeah, most people don't know that I speak three languages. Nice. Um, my family is from the country of Georgia. Wow. I'm 100% Georgian. I, you know, feel Georgian. I. Uh, consider myself 100% Georgian, just like my family. So I speak Georgian at home with my parents, with my relatives, my sister, and then um, I speak Russian as well, obviously because Russia is mm-hmm. the you know large bordering country, and majority of Georgian people speak Russian, uh, speak Russian, and then English as well. So that's one thing. Um, not too many people know that tennis was not my first sport. I um, like I mentioned before, judo was my first uh, my first love, my first sport that I was fully invested in. And then third, I would say most people don't know that deep down, I wish I had given uh, American football a shot mm. just because it's, uh, it's obviously a sport 
that I enjoy watching so much. I enjoy keeping up with it in terms of fantasy football, you know, watching college football on Saturdays, NFL on Sundays. And I have a little bit of a bigger build than the normal tennis player. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I always, I always have that uh, in the back of my mind, you know, what could have been, but, you know, I've been fortunate enough to play this sport and I've had a great deal of success and unbelievable experiences. So there's nothing that I would have, uh, you know, I have obviously no regrets or anything that I would take back, but, you know, deep down, there's a little bit of a football player in me that uh, that never got to get out. Uh, well, no worries. You know, you got to choose one in the end, and you're doing a, a great job in tennis. Um, please tell me you're a Washington Redskins fan. I'm a Baltimore Ravens oh, fan. Okay, that's not bad. Not bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's not bad. For the Redskins beating us the other day. Are you a Redskins fan? Uh, yeah, I am, but I, I don't mind the Ravens yeah, winning. You guys, yeah, you guys got it. Yeah, you guys got it weeks ago, and it hasn't been, uh, you know, it hasn't been great the last month, but. You know, it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the Ravens have had a lot of success, um, uh, yeah. more success than us, and, you know, ups and downs, like everything. Um, so, Luca, uh, what's your favorite tennis book that you rec- recommend our audience to read? Uh, gosh, there are a lot of good ones. I like the Nadal one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would probably say Winning Ugly by Brad Gilbert. Yep. Um, I don't know how much, you know, I, I know some people love it, some people hate it. But um, at least in my in my personal point of view, I think a lot of the things that he writes, you know, he writes about in that book, really translate to the sport of tennis and just competing in general. A lot of times, you know, as a tennis player, you don't come out feeling like a million bucks. You don't, you know, hit the ball the same way every day and, and, and feel great. So I think Brad Gilbert talks a lot about the realities that tennis players deal with in terms of you know, how they're feeling on the court and what, what it is and what we can do as competitors to make the most of what we have on a day-to-day basis. So, you know, for example, if, if I'm not feeling great on my, on my forehand one day, you know, I have to do everything in my power to serve well, hit my backhand well, volley well, you know, to give myself the best chance to win. And I think that relates really well to what I feel as a competitor. And I think that's something that Brad Gilbert, you know, expresses throughout his book, uh, winning ugly. Yeah. I love that book, Luca. I mean, I, I read it within the first couple of pages. He talks about the, you know, the strategies he used to beat Borg mm-hmm. and Connors. And I mean, you yeah. know, even based on all that, like it's helped me improve my game. And I have an article at uh tennisfiles.com slash game plan. And, and a, Mm-hmm. downloadable pdf just basically showing you how you can uh, construct winning strategy ba- you know and in, based in part on uh, his book yeah. um so luca where can our audience uh follow you uh, uh on social media obviously i um I- i'm on twitter it's just my name luca underscore corintelli um instagram is the same name um you know uva tennis does a great deal of uh, media stuff and and posts a lot of our updates so you know, UVA men's tennis on Twitter as well is is uh, probably the the place to um, you know keep up with the results and, and and of the team as well as myself. So those are probably uh, the best bet, I guess, for the people that are listening. Awesome, awesome. And so I love to close with this uh, one last question. And you've given us so much already on how we can improve mm-hmm. our games. But uh, what is one key tip that you can give our audience to help us become better tennis players? Um. If there was one key tip that I would have to give, it would be to be a really, really good coach to yourself. And I know that sounds kind of cliche and corny, but, you know, I think one thing that tennis players, obviously it's difficult because we're, you know, we're by ourselves on the court and, and it's very easy for us to critique ourselves and, 
and be somewhat of a bully to ourselves when things aren't going well. And this is something that I have had, you know, problems with kind of throughout my tennis career and something that I think I've improved on a lot. But, you know, I just try to imagine it like this, you know, when you're not playing well or, you know, you don't feel great. Imagine if whatever coach you have or whoever's on the court with you, you know, just constantly ripped you, told you how bad you were, told you, you know, your serve stinks, your forehand's awful, and all these things that we kind of tell ourselves, you know, without even realizing it when we're on the tennis court. Mm -hmm. So if you can kind of treat yourself with the same way you would want to be treated from your coach and constantly, constantly be a good kind of positive influence on, you know, having a good mindset and trying to be as positive as possible. I know it sounds corny, but it really goes a, a long way. And it's something that I've tried to focus on a lot, you know, as I've matured on the tennis court and it's, it's made me a lot better. If you can learn to be a really good support system and coach for yourself, I think it makes everything that much better in terms of your tennis ability, how well you compete, the mood you're in on the court. And if you can pick yourself up constantly and just be really positive, that's one tip, you know, aside from the technical stuff and aside from the tennis stuff, that's one thing if I had to give it out is one thing that I think can make the biggest difference for a tennis player. Uh, Luca, that's just incredible, amazing advice uh, that I think everybody should follow. I, I implore you to follow that advice. Um, thank you for that. And so, Luca, you know, uh, when I asked uh, Coach Boland for, uh, you know, one player to interview, uh, he mentioned you and he said that you'd be uh, just an amazing interview. And I think he's right. Um, really appreciate <laughs> Um, no, sure. I really appreciate uh, you know all the great advice you've given us today, and uh, just the great character and integrity that you have, and, and the way that you're developing yourself and helping uh, those around you. And I just want to uh, uh, thank you for being a guest on the Tennis Files podcast, and I wish you and the team all the best, and hope you can uh, get another championship in your senior season. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure, and. Uh... I hope that uh, I hope that people can you know get some kind of uh, you know positive influence or positive advice from this and and it was a, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Thanks, Luca. All the best. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Luca Corintelli. Uh, he was a fantastic guest, and I really appreciate uh, him coming on the show today. Uh, I just want to encourage everybody to subscribe to the Tennis Files podcast. You know, I'd really appreciate it if you. Uh, went to your podcast app, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else, and just hit the subscribe button. And, uh, you know, I just want you guys to keep improving your game and keep uh, immersing yourself in, you know, all the resources out there, um, whether that's, you know, my site or other sites, podcasts, and everything. And I also highly encourage you guys to check out my ebook, The Building Blocks of Tennis Success, which you can download for free if you go to tennisfiles.com slash ebook. So I highly encourage you to do that. And I always love to end the show with a quote um, when I remember. And today's quote is from Deepak Chopra, who said, You must find the place inside yourself where nothing is impossible. Guys, um, you know, all the best to you. Right? We have some awesome guests coming up the pike. I've got a special episode coming up uh, next, which is a Wilson Racket Review episode. Preston Lemon, uh, who is a friend of mine and who is a Wilson rep as well for um, this district, I believe. Um, you know, I'm in Maryland, of course. And um, so he and Wilson were kind enough to send me 
um, several rackets for me to test out uh, along with some string to re- uh, test out and review. And um, so what we're going to do next week is we're going to go one by one through all of uh, Wilson's uh, players rackets and basically talk about them. And so hopefully that'll help you choose a racket, um, whether that's Wilson's or anybody else's. And, you know, maybe one of those frames will uh, tickle your fancy, as they say. Um, but, you know, it's definitely going to be a really fun episode. I know everybody loves talking about gear, and I've gotten some questions from people. Uh, I, I remember also Haroon, who was a very active you know, audience member. I was talking with him uh, earlier uh, a month or two ago about Wilson Rackets and stuff. So now it's going to be pretty cool to be able to test, review, and discuss Wilson Rackets um, on the show. So that'll be fun. Um, All right, guys, Um, all the best to you. Keep improving your tennis game. And I will see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Take care, guys. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.